Hello, and welcome to the Studio at Home Roundtable on Perfecting Customer Experiences in 2021, Part 1, in partnership with Okta. I'm joined for this discussion by Michelle Brown, Ian Cohen, Jackie Lipinski, Richard Newsom, and Charlotte Baldwin. Welcome, everyone. Ian, can I come to you first? How can technology leaders provide the best experiences, customer experiences and best services to their internal customers, clients and wider network? It's a really interesting question, actually, because there are so many ways now to understand and better understand uh, what your clients need and want, whether that is uh, internal clients or external clients or colleagues across your organisation. Um, and worryingly, I think we still appear like a broadcasting uh, business in that um, the way we engage with, with customers tends to be around something that we want them to hear. Um, and then when they don't hear it the way we like them to hear it, we just shout a little bit louder and hope they hear it again, uh, almost like English people on holiday. Um Whereas actually what we have is we have more tools and more techniques to understand what our customers need and respond to those needs and engage with them than we've ever had before. So I think the, the, uh, the, the question is more um, about how do we listen better and how do we engage more? Um, because our customers are, are very, very willing and able to tell us what they need and, and what they what they require. We just have to be listening better than we've ever done before. Yeah, absolutely. Listening to our customers, as in consumers and shoppers, is is sort of deeply ingrained in the DNA of, of the organisation. I think as far as being a, an, if you like, I'm going to use a phrase that I don't like, an internal service provider is concerned, I think... I think there's something about language that gets in the way and talking about the business or the rest of the business and seeing technology as something different that then needs to integrate actually perversely gets in the way of true integration. So one of the things that I think we've done very successfully at Sainsbury's over the last few years is to, is, is to truly build cross-functional teams whose sole purpose is to deliver a business outcome, whether that's through technology change or changing a sort of broader business capability. And, and I think I think that model is one that's stood the business in, in really good stead, actually, particularly over the last 12 months. I think if you're an ex if you're a software provider or service provider, I, I think it's I think it's subtly different, but making yourself relevant to the decision makers within a company as Ian says, rather than broadcasting, truly, truly listening, I, I think is a, yeah, is, is the passport to, to success there as well. At United Airlines, I, I think we have, you know, made a pivot to think about the entire customer experience end to end. You know, like our business is travel. We were in the business of selling flights, but with the pandemic, you had to think about um, in order for people to have confidence to take a flight, you had to manage that whole experience, like what's required for them to be able to travel? How do they get in, in our instance um, here in the States and even, you know, for the few places that are open internationally, COVID testing is required. How do you help people navigate how to get those tests, um, understand which tests are OK, um, understand in addition to like 
other, um, you know, like regulatory requirements? How do, how do you make all that comprehensible and really easy for customers because they wouldn't even consider taking a flight if you couldn't if we couldn't solve the experience from what's required to get them travel ready. And so that's a big pivot that we've made and just thinking about customer experiences more end to end, um, using the data, listening to their customers, but understanding like what they need beyond the product it is that we sell. Jackie Lipinski, a pivot is the word that we've all used extensively since March 2020 when COVID really hit here in the UK. Uh, and I'm really interested in in your experiences around that and and based on what we're hearing now from from Ian and Richard and Michelle what what's your take at Imperial College London so I think obviously being in the HE sector we've definitely had to pivot um quite dramatically um because of covid and make sure that we can change the way we provide a service to our customers and our customers are students and researchers and also the internal staff are all customers of ours and what we've done to uh, try and achieve that is move from um, really having a project methodology to a product methodology where we're aligning to what the customer needs are and trying to change the conversation with our customers from one about what technology do you need or what software do you need or or customers coming to us and asking us to plug in a particular piece of um, software that they found into understanding what the business drivers are, understanding what the business are trying to do and the pain points and and building a, a team that's a collaborative team with business and IT professionals together. Now, that uh, is a major change for Imperial College. I think it's a major change for the HE sector. And in doing that, we're trying to change the language. So we're together trying to work out what the outcomes need to be. Um, We've got a a lot of technical debt within the college, and I think that's common across a number of industries. And a lot of that comes from um, just the demand to deliver different things to different parts of the organisation and not looking holistically. So I think there's three really important things. I think collaboration is absolutely vital with the customers and understanding who your customers are. The second really important thing is governance in terms of prioritization, finances and decision making. So in one of my uh, product lines, I look after six product lines in one of those lines. At the moment, I have 46 different customers that are trying to decide what IT should deliver. And it's not clear where the decision making process lies. So if you move more to a product methodology, you can actually start tailoring Um, the decision-making process to make sure you do deliver the outcomes um, and start streamlining the technology, the technical debt you have, and streamlining what you're delivering across the whole organisation. And that's starting to really reap some rewards uh, for us. And I think um, decision-making, as I said, is key in that. And the third thing is the supplier relationship. So having trusted partners where if you're investing in some technology, that actually your relationship with that supplier means you are using everything from that relationship and from that technology. We do quite often in the past have bought our pieces of software and maybe use 10, 20% of its functionality. And then we buy something else that's very similar. And that, again, leads to really inefficient business processes, um, bad data control. And ultimately, it doesn't deliver what the customers need, whether that's internal or external customers. Some really interesting points made already. I'm going to reflect on the comments that that Ian was making around data, because honestly, I I think we have to um, 
we have to build data and insights around what we're delivering, the solutions we're delivering into the product delivery life cycle. If we're deploying technology, if we're solving business problems with technology, ultimately we want to understand, is it delivering the value that we expected? Um, is it solving the right problem? Are, are people are people using it? Are people engaging with it? And, and using that to feed back into improvements, areas that we should be further investing in, identifying where perhaps we've got change management and adoption issues for our internal customers, I think, um, is, is, is really key and is really helpful, you know, especially when you're having to operate at speed in a global pandemic and you're having to identify those investments that really matter um, are going to deliver the most value for the business. I mean, the legal sector has seen massive amounts of transformation this year, I think it's 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 fair to say. Um, when we think about um, our, um, our clients, I think data is equally as important. Anything that we can get in terms of insights into how clients are engaging with digital solutions that we are building or deploying is really, really important. Again, feeding those insights back into um, in, into uh, the product lifecycle. I also really like Michelle's comments resonate a lot with me, looking at things from an end-to-end perspective as well, really identifying those key pain points or key opportunities in the client lifecycle um, and looking, in, in our case, at how we best digitalize key legal processes, how we connect solutions to deliver that end-to-end solution um, uh, and, and client experience. Thank you very much, Charles. I mean, you've all mentioned um, technology and data, so it's obviously a really important theme when we're thinking about perfecting customer experiences. Uh, can I come back to you, Richard? Which technologies are best supporting Sainsbury's in perfecting customer experiences? There's probably no sort of one technology answer to that question. I think, you know, to pick up Charlotte's point, which I think is spot on, I think building into all of your, all of our technology, whether that's uh, technology that we're buying as a service or whether that's, uh, whether those are products that we're building through our own engineering teams, you know, building a strong pipeline of data and insight into the way that our internal customers and external, frankly, are actually using the products, I think is I think is really critical. It comes back to Ian's point about listening as well. If you're not doing that, and if you're not getting, you know, what in many times is in many cases a real-time sense of, you know, how people are actually using the product, the only way to get that insight is to ask people. And you know, I think particularly over the last 12 months, certainly an awful lot of our internal customers where we've had to keep asking have just got sort of, you know, feed, feedback, feedback overload, to be honest. Um, you know, there's only so many times that you can ask people for insight and get, and, and get value back. So yeah, I, I, I think it's the principle of building, building rapid real-time feedback loops into all of your products, I think is, is the way forward actually. And then, and then, collating that data into a single place so that the people who are then driving and, and deriving insight from that aren't themselves having to go looking in, in a variety of different places to get that insight really enables them to join the dots and get a full a full end-to-end picture. 
Ian Cohen, are there particular technologies that um, that Cacium has relied on or acquired to improve the customer experience? Yes, but it's not that important in that um, people get obsessed with the technology. You have the people who... Uh, you know, we've been trying to implement CRM, customer relationship management, for 20 years and have got it wrong consistently for 20 years. So it may not be the technology. It may actually be us and our attitudes. It's not, you know, you can you can buy Salesforce, you can buy Microsoft, you can buy Oracle, you can buy tons of tech out there. But if you don't implement it effectively with with, with the correct emotion, and, and this is something that, that, that I think has come out when people have talked about products uh, and customer, it's actually an emotional thing. At, at Acasium, we're not that worried about the CRMs. We have lots of divisions with lots of CRMs and we'll have fewer by the time I'm done with it. But that's not the point. The point is, if you are obsessed with your customer and customer obsession is an emotion, and if you drive that obsession and you underscore that obsession with insight, so that's using data with emotion, and then you build products to deliver those experiences and experiences are emotions, the tech doesn't matter. You can, you can buy the best technology in the world. And if you incentivize people to focus on revenue, you will get a revenue and product-based conversation. So actually, it's, yeah, find some technology that works for you. I, I genuinely don't care what it is. I haven't got, I haven't got an extra grind on, on any platform. But absolutely work out what is the emotional state you're trying to achieve through that technology and you know drill into you know, your people if your organization has i mean i work in healthcare it's really easy to have purpose in healthcare during a pandemic mm-hmm. um but even then we can we can focus on the wrong things so the whole thing about uh technology supporting uh, a customer outcome i think the question is how are you drilling and how are you creating the environment where every conversation, every interaction, everything that happens through the technology is geared around this customer obsession? Do that and it doesn't matter what the platform is. It made me laugh because you mentioned that that word CRM and uh, we've got 27 of those. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, it's just, it, it's mind boggling, um, really. And I think, I, I mean, I agree with everything that's being said. It's not about what the technology is or particular software supplier. Across my product lines, I'm looking after 580 different applications. So it's a minefield. Um, and I think we do lose sight of trying to make sure we're delivering the outcomes that are required for the business. You can't deliver effective outcomes if you've got 27, 27 different CRM systems. I mean, it's just the data is all over the place, the integrations you need, how you do upgrades, how you make sure that data is relevant, how you're then ultimately providing what the customer needs gets lost in that in that um, technology debt. So this is why we need to move the conversation away from particular applications or software into what the customer needs and how we're going to deliver that Mm. there's one really key thing that we're changing also we're trying to move away from that horrible word customization (laughs) because i think that causes us um lots of issues in in lots of areas what are you saying instead of customization jackie configuration (laughs) configuration 
Yeah, so you can configure all you like, but you can't customize. So, um, so we have a, a lot of technical debt um, where we have bought applications that on-prem we customize them for every single different need that every single individual has in every part of the organization, which basically means you can't upgrade, you can't have a standard process. If someone, um, when you look at how, how to run an operation, you might have 15 different ways in which a lever process works, for example. So we're trying to move away from that, look at what is industry standard best practice and, and allow configuration where you've got something that's unique to your kind of industry or your market segment and what's going to be a differentiator for you in providing that service. So that's, um, so that, I think that's something that's really key for, um, for how we need to streamline things in future to be able to come quick to market with changes, adding features and functionality by adding by changing some of the configuration side. So that's a uh, yeah. So everything everything was said. I was like, oh gosh, that's where we are. And we're, we're moving away from that, and it's and it's mm. it's, it's really exciting to be able to do that. Mm. Michelle, can I ask you um, to reflect on what Ian said about obsession with the customer and tapping into the emotion and connecting that um, emotion to what you're delivering for customers. I mean, that must be particularly relevant in terms of uh, airline customers. When it comes to the obsession for the customer, like that has been like such a focus for us. Um, and and also layering in data has has been another game changer for us. Like we're in, you know, in the airline business, I have the benefit of we have millions of transactions. So lots of information from our customers, even more searches on our website. So people telling us what they're looking for, what their intentions are and some guiding principles or philosophy that we've adopted to help us kind of drive outcomes with this information is as we're building new products, as we're building new applications, how do we make them smart? And smart being like, how is it fueled by these insights? How can you make something predictive? How can you make it responsive? How can you personalize that experience based on the data and the insights that we collected? Um, and then we've also found ways to reuse these assets that we've created. So like in our business, we have customers who, you know, people who fly our product. And I also think of our customers, our internal employees. I have there are almost 100,000 people who work for United Airlines, not to mention all the service providers. Um, and that's uh, those are a lot of customers. And what we found as, as we're building new technology, one example was with chat functionality. Um, we started out using chat as a way for our, customer, our paying customers to interact with our contact center agents. And um, that worked wildly successful. There are people who just prefer to interact via chat versus picking up the phone to call or sending an email. But what we learned was, okay, um, from this great integration of data, understanding what people prefer, there are other use cases for that same kind of technical capability. So chat became a functionality that we enabled for our, for our customer, I mean, for our employees. So imagine a scenario like all the people who are working on a flight, the pilot, the flight attendant, the station's operations control, um, the fueler now have the ability through similar technology. It's just reusing this capability that we developed for a different purpose, um, but enabling us to apply it uh, in a way that drives value for, again, another important customer. And so as we as we have taken this this mindset of thinking like for everything that we build, how can it be smart and smart being fueled by insights in some way? And then as you're building new products or new technical capabilities, are there other places that this this product can drive value in the business has been really has been a game changer for us because it's allowed us to connect the dots. It helps you reduce your technical debt because you are kind of reusing um, investments that you've already created. Um, it's creating uh, some standards even in our platforms because you know, like for the longest, how we thought about customer facing technology and employee facing technology, those were two disparate systems. Well, two is an understatement, but 
Is it 27, like Jackie? It's probably more than 27, just <laughs> given the, the time that we've been in business and all the technologies we've adopted over the years. Um, but we found that there are ways in which you can start to tether those things together um, because you can create experiences that can work the same way. It might have a different skin on it, but the underlying technology is the same and the, the philosophy around how you use data, how you understand your customer is the same. And so that's um, it's been really helpful, particularly in an environment where you know, like our, we're a smaller company, you know, the economy has changed. It's allowed us to be more nimble and more responsive. Thank you, Michelle. I mean, Charlotte, I'd like to pick up on, on the point around data and maybe we can all um, have our say on this area. How will customer experiences be challenged when it comes to um, data and the age of privacy? It's a real challenge, isn't it? And obviously we're seeing many of our clients battle with that. I mean, clearly what we're talking about is adding value or or driving value creation through direct engagement with customers or clients, you know, and I'm reflecting on some of the comments that others have said around this virtual table. And so actually any controls around what you're able to gather are going to clearly limit the number of insights that you're able to get. So I think we have to, you know, we have to assume that um, increased regulation um, is going to require us all to be a little bit more creative in how we really make sure that we get the voice of the customer. I have to reflect back though on what Michelle was saying, if you don't mind, Bridget, on the back office, front office, the persona point, because that's exactly how we're looking at um, at essentially personalization away from customization. How do you deliver personalized experiences? And why should you think about your client differently to your internal customer and starting to reuse or certainly drive much more return on the investments of your core technology by moving them into the client experience space. So that just was absolutely uh, resonated with me. But I think, you know, it it is going to be, going back to the regulation point, it, it is going to be challenging. And I think, you know, organisations are going to have to come up with actually ways and frameworks to make their customers feel more comfortable and have an increased level of transparency over how they're using the data. And quite frankly, if you think about how you interact with your internal customers, kind of making the business case or talking about the value and the business problem you're solving, I I see that kind of trend obviously moving much more into the client-customer space. You know, actually... We will deliver X, Y, and Z. Your experience will be significantly improved. This is this is how we want to use these bits of information. Again, just I think being more open because I think there's a feeling that perhaps some organisations have been less open with how they use data. So I think it's going to drive, you know, a, a, a completely uh, different approach and a more transparent approach. And we're seeing that already, aren't we, in our daily lives? And with how we're consuming technology and some of the well-known apps that we engage with are being much more transparent and engaging around data usage. Completely agree with all of the points made. And, um, you know, Michelle's point about reusing technology, but reusing some of the principles and practices, you know, for both internal and and external customers, uh, you know, I think is I think is spot on. Um and then I think to build on Charlotte's point, you know, yes, in some ways, 
the regulatory environment will be what it will be. And, you know, let's, let's hope that the people who are, who are creating that environment or, or, um, evolving it, you know, take input from all of the rights, all of the right people. I think the broader and much more nebulous challenge is, is the ethical one. Um, you know, because ethics and particularly ethics in, in, in the realm of data, you know, means such very different things to, well, I mean, ultimately almost everyone, but very different things according to the sector that you're operating in, the perceived level of importance or personalization or, or, or sort of personal uh, dimensions of that data, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I, I think that is a much more, you know, much more multifaceted debate. I think a little bit like Charlotte, I do think the guiding principle for most organizations through that, whether it's with their own employees or, or their, uh, their end consumers is one around transparency. Um, and, you know, again, to echo the point, you know, we all, we all know that as consumers of technology or consumers of services as much as we do as, as sort of technology professionals. But I, I think that is a much, bigger, broader conversation. And, you know, with all due respect to my fellow technology professionals, we will have a view on that, but we will have by no means the only view or or maybe even the best view. Um, yeah, yeah, big, big societal discussion looming on that, I think. What's interesting, every one of us have used two words consistently through this, which is trust and transparency. And if you are seeing privacy and it's interesting that the question is about upcoming privacy because i think the privacy challenge exists now but the point is if you see it as a challenge you will fail if you see it as an opportunity you will win and that's as that's how stark it is because the currency now of business is trust and transparency if you don't see that as an opportunity to enhance your brand values, to double down on your purpose, to engage with your customers in an open and emotional dialogue, then you will fail. It, it, it is, as, it is as, as stark as that. So trust and transparency can't be buzzwords. They can't be things we throw around. You know, They've got to be the thing that underpins the relationship that you have with your customers, whether they're internal customers, whether they're your colleagues, whether they're uh, partners, whether they're um, candidates, whether they're end consumers, whoever they are. It's about a digital engagement. And frankly, if, if you're not having that conversation based on trust and transparency, they will go somewhere else. They can. It's a click. A better experience is a click away if you're not careful. I think data is becoming a currency um, now, and it's, it's a currency that can make a difference to the service you provide. So absolutely, trust and transparency, being very clear about data you're collecting, what you're doing with it, and understanding how you're going to personalise your service. So um, from Imperial's perspective, obviously, students are our primary customer, one of our primary customers, understanding every single time they have a touch point with us, where those touch points are, whether it's before they become a student, whilst they're in, whilst they're enrolling, when they're actually learning and teaching, when they're joining clubs, and also right after when they've graduated, all the way through the alumni process. So trust and transparency has to be mm. up there. And, and I think, as Ian said, you have to look at it as an opportunity and look at how you can use that to your advantage to provide that service. 
Thank you very much, Jackie. And thank you all for sharing your insights today on this roundtable at the studio at home. 